Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Still pouring it out here. Thought I would go ahead and get started. Have to scrape out all of that yummy foam from the frother here. Today is Monday, August 5th, I think. Yes, I'm sure that's right. I'm not looking at the calendar, but I believe, and you all believe with me too, right? Yay! Clap if you believe in fairies. <coughs> all right, let's head out to the passageway of doom here. This cup is hot. Cut down. No cradling it against my bosom, as is my want, as is the purpose of the bosom. Okay. For those of you new to the show, in order to get out to the secret garden, I have to pass through two doors. One from sort of the laundry room into the garage, and then from the garage out back. One day I will have my dream remodel, and I will have beautiful French doors that lead directly from the kitchen out into the secret garden, which will also, not coincidentally, give us a view of the secret garden, more than we get from the kitchen window. But that is not yet. Uh, for those wondering, we did not have a serious fortress built up from the pack rat in my absence. Uh, I think because I warned our house sitter about it um, to go ahead and eliminate any burrs. So I have foiled the pack rat. I wonder if pack rats have house sitters. That would be kind of amusing, wouldn't it? All right, so there's a few to get rid of here. I think our grapes are nearly ripe. Well, getting close. Should we try one? Let's try one. That's the sound of a very sour grape. <laughs> so, not quite. Not quite yet. Well, getting there. There's a pretty narrow window between not ripe and overdone the birds are eating them. Fortunately, I saved my first sip of coffee. Hmm. That's good. That's cleansing. Ah. So, I have a week, a week in my beautiful arbor before we head off. I can't really complain because since I'm going to beautiful Ireland, I'm very excited to see Ireland. Uh, definitely hoping to podcast from there and talk about what it's like and what we see. But we leave um, a week from today. So if you're going to be at Worldcon, I will be on a few things. I'll post my schedule a little bit later this week. Mostly, yeah, I, I do not have a dense schedule at Worldcon. Worldcon is slightly adjacent to my shtick. I mean, I kind of fit, but it's really, you know, Worldcon is the World Science Fiction Convention, and it's a fan convention, theoretically. And there isn't one for fantasy so much. I mean, world fantasy is supposed to be for fantasy, but um, I don't know. That one feels more like a professional convention. 
and it's not one oops oh I'm still going okay like somehow got into my settings there we go for those of you new to the podcast I'm always messing with my phone <laughs> it's terribly unprofessional this but remember this is the uh, the polar opposite to Sarah McLean's very professional podcast she's on one end I'm on the other I'm very happy nesting down here at my messy fussing with my phone end of things <coughs> I have a little bit of a cough. Um, the allergy re-entry has been a little rough on both of us. Being at Coeur d'Alene in that nice low altitude and uh, humid environment was was very restful on the sinuses. And so it's been a... And also monsoons have started here in Santa Fe, so the pollen's really blooming. My friend Kelly Robson was surprised that I have allergies here. She said she thought like that the one trade-off of living, this is literally what she said, I thought the one trade-off of living in the desert was at least you wouldn't have allergies. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, no, no. The desert heavily overcompensates for being a desert. And when it blooms, she doth bloom. That's not why we live here. <clears throat> Although, as you guys know, if you listen to my Saturday podcast, I'm seriously contemplating how nice it would be to live on a lake. I want both. Is there a reason I can't have both? I want two houses. I want all the things. I want my dream remodel here. I want enough money to buy another house on a lake. Um, and world peace, of course. <laughs> Actually, I would settle for not having horrible things happen every day but we won't talk about that it's funny you know that's like we once dreamed of world peace and now our the bar is so much lower <laughs> uh, yeah the world turns and times change i learned that from ann mccaffrey and it's very true one thing I would like to do when I'm in Dublin is I really kind of want to go see Anne McCaffrey's house. I know where it is, but it's unfortunately not a museum. It's a private home. So I don't know that it would do any good for me to go see it. But I want to. It's a sort of pilgrimage. Yeah. Did I tell you guys that I met Todd McCaffrey? I should tell you this story. Um, I don't feel like it's talking out of school. It was kind of a strange incident because I was walking through the exhibition hall at San Diego Comic-Con and Grace Straven and I were on our way. We wanted to stop at the tour booth to see if they had extra arcs of the Orchid Throne for me to take up to the Safwa panel. So we were kind of moving quickly, walking along, you know, on our mission and I spotted uh, Dragon Riders of Pern book that I didn't recognize. And, and you have to understand, the exhibition hall is hugely, I mean, it's just overstimulating to an unreal extent. There is so much noise and so much stuff to look at. And so right there on the table, kind of down at, um, I want to say eye level, but my eyes are not at my hips. But you know what I mean, my, my eyes fell on the book as a reader's does, right? And I was like, oh, Dragon Rise of Pern, why don't I know this book? 
And then I registered that it was by Todd McCaffrey. And I said, oh, it's Todd McCaffrey. And the guy standing there mimics me. And he goes, oh, it's Todd McCaffrey. And and I look up at him and I'm like, you know, kind of surprised by this. And he says, you don't like Todd McCaffrey? And I said, well, I said, his books just aren't the same to me. I said, I, I grew up reading Anne McCaffrey and I really loved her and... Uh, those books aren't the same to me. It's not the same voice. And and he, I don't even remember exactly what he responded to me, something like, you know, that I, I don't know. But he was definitely passive-aggressive about it. And <clears throat> slowly, you know, me being very slow on the uptake, I'm realizing that this big-boned older Irish man standing in front of me is... Todd McCaffrey and my eyes further raise up behind him to the big banner on the booth that this is Todd McCaffrey's booth and he's explaining to me why <laughs> mansplaining to me why I should like the books and I'm trying to dig myself out of the hole because really I was abashed I hadn't meant to slight his books or you know his writing uh, you know so I'm trying to explain and he, you know, and he says, oh, well, that we should read this other book. And he hands me and Grace, he reaches over and hands me and Grace this very slim um, POD book, the same one, and it's all signed. And he says, this is written by the twins. And he's going on talking about the twins and how they won a contest. And I've absolutely no fucking clue, there's your F-bomb, what he's talking about. <laughs> and later I figure out that the twins are... Are female and so he thinks that because they're female then will then like the books and I'm amusedly looking at this book which to my self-publishing eye I can recognize as being probably a 40,000 word novella um, that they've you know put out in POD and it's not fair but the printing costs are outrageous and I'm sure he's selling it for like $15 but I'm bemused because he's like handed it to us, you know, and they're signed already. And he says, here. And I said, well, are you giving these to us? And he goes, oh, no, everything here is for sale. And so I very firmly hand it back to him. And I said, well, no, thank you. I said, I'm, I think I used the usual excuse of I have nothing, no room in my suitcase, traveling light, not buying your fucking book, Todd, just because some twins wrote it with you. I don't know. It was a weird experience. Um, and I was annoyed with myself for not being more aware um, and speaking out of turn. But also, I mean, it was so weirdly passive-aggressive. So then Grace and I head on up. to. We stopped by the tour booth. Uh, they didn't have the arcs yet. So then we go up to the panel and we get there early because we were afraid we couldn't find it. It's hard to find things there. And so we're standing there talking to a couple other Cephla members. I think I was talking to Kyle Astick and uh, Jonathan Brazy. And I'm telling them this story, and they're laughing at me. They're amused. And all of a sudden, Grace, Grace goes, wait, that really was Todd McCaffrey? <laughs> so at least I'm not the slowest on the uptake. I love Grace. <laughs> And I'm like, yes. Then she's like, oh my god, I thought that was a joke that you were joking. I was like, no, it really was him. So <clears throat> that was my interesting incident. Um, 
news that I wanted to tell you guys is that I have been, I think I mentioned before that I was auditioning audiobook narrators for the Orchid Throne. Uh, I'm so excited. St. Martin's is so amazing. I got to, when I was at RWA, I got to meet with my editor and with my whole publicity team, and they're awesome. They've been you know, encouraging me to, I didn't like the first narrator. She, she was a lovely narrator, but her voice wouldn't work for the characters. We had her do a couple different scenes, and it just, her voice was way too delicate. So they found me another narrator, and I'd listened to her clips, and then she did a sample for me, and I got that while I was at RWA, and a couple of people who were there got to listen to it. Um, she got the Jen Twymom uh, seal of approval. Jen does the Listen Up audiobook blog, and she liked it, so I was like, yes. I'd already settled on her, but I was really glad to have Jen's seal of approval. So it's Elizabeth Brooke. Elizabeth Brooke will be doing the audio, and she sent me a list of words to pronounce, so I just used my handy-dandy microphone and voice recorder, as I'm doing here, and recorded the words for her. That's a great way to do it. Having and she, she said she prefers that, and I absolutely agree. It's, there's nothing like hearing somebody say it. Amusingly enough, it required that I um, decide for myself how some of the words were pronounced. You know, hearing them in my head is not the same as pronouncing them out loud. Maybe that's a me thing, but that's often how it works for me. So that should be coming along. Very excited to hear what she does with the book. And then today I am working on revisions to the Fiery Crown. Jenny sent me my, she said pretty light line edits. I haven't opened the doc yet, and she put some notes in the email. She says it's very light. I'm really thinking I can get it done this week. The only one that's sort of giving me pause, and I don't know once I go in there, just from some comments that she made, she said something about one scene that she'd said something about on the developmental edits too. And I'm I'm sort of mulling this. She's wondering she's has a very specific suggestion, you know, like maybe Leah can say something about this. Is this bothering her? And I I might go back and look at the her first set of notes because I know I considerably expanded that scene. Um, in response to questions that she'd had before. And I'm wondering if it's still the same question. I might not look because in some ways it's not entirely relevant. I'm, I'm thinking of a piece of advice that I got a long time ago that has ended up being a very useful piece of advice about getting critique, which is when people say there's something wrong with a scene, they are almost always right. And when they suggest how to fix it, they are almost always wrong. And that's, it's, a, it's not entirely intuitive, and yet it proves to be true. And I think it may be true of many things in life, that the people around us can tell us, you know, that there's a problem, that something's not right. But when they suggest how you fix it, it's not, it's almost never the correct solution. And I, maybe it's because the solution has to come from you. 
so anyway, I'm thinking in this scene, the fact that she keeps commenting on it. I mean, I can do the thing she's asking for. You know, she's saying maybe just one line with her saying this or reflecting on that, which would be easy enough. But, and I might just leave it at that. We'll see. But I'm wondering if there's something else about that scene that's not working. That she's trying to find solutions to a problem that she can't quite articulate. And this is something that is very true of editors in general and critique partners. Um, people know, they can sense maybe subconsciously when something is incorrect or that it doesn't resonate or there's something that isn't quite in harmony, not quite humming along. And they don't know what it is, but it's, we're also well-trained. We know that it's not helpful to say things like, uh, this scene just isn't working for me. Occasionally someone will do that, but then it's frustrating, right? Because it's like, well, okay, <laughs> now what? So they try to suggest things that they think are working. And I might be overthinking this. You, Jeffy, overthinking? No. Uh, I might be overthinking this. It could be that I'll, I'll have to look at her note again. She, she may have said that she wanted this sentiment from Leah. She wanted this insight into Leah's mind and suggested that that scene would be a good place to put it. So that's something else entirely. But those are the kinds of things I think about when I go to do uh, some edits in order to tweak the book. Yeah, I probably won't do a full read-through this time. I'll do a read-through after a while and give it a little bit more space. A little time to cool off. Yeah, I'll probably just address her notes and we'll see. We'll see. Uh, the other thing that... I kind of resist a lot of Jenny's edits is she's been asking me to spell things out more. And I never want to do that, but I know that I'm also a writer who leaves things pretty subtly woven into the text. And not all readers get those things. So I'm trying to be good about when Jenny suggests, you know, maybe we should just say that this is the reason that Leah has is hesitating. Uh, then I probably should just say it. <laughs> I can be taught. I can be taught, right? It was interesting because I just reread The Talon of the Hawk. The reason I reread it, that's my the third book in the Twelve Kingdoms series from way back in the day. Way back. I, it came out in like 2016. Yeah, something like that. 2015, 2016, something like that. Um, <clears throat> so not that long ago. Feels like a while ago. I read um, Kennedy Ryan's Long Shot because she won the Long Contemporary Category, Rita, for it. And I hadn't read any of her books. <clears throat> and the book deals with sexual abuse. And some people had said, oh, that was way too dark for them. But I thought it was a really wonderful book. Apparently, it's hard to go too dark on me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends. As long as there's a happy ever after, I'm okay with, with dark on the way. So 
I was, I was very, I was, rem- blah, 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 I cannot talk. I, my thoughts are going faster than my words. In reading her book and how she dealt with the heroine's recovery from sexual abuse, I was thinking about how I had done the same with Talon of the Hawk, which is something that I haven't talked about a whole lot because I felt like it was spoilery. But, you know, now we're three years later, you know, I think we've passed the spoilery window. And it was very important to me and Talon to do a, a slow recovery. You know, I didn't want the, um, you know, like the magic penis to cure all her ills as is sometimes, you know, romance is accused of doing. And I've read books where that's happened, uh, where the heroine has been traumatized and the, you know, she has sex with the hero and all of a sudden she's fine. (laughs) I didn't want that for Ursula. So I read, reread Talon of the Hawk, which was interesting to do because I am not one who hates to reread my books. I enjoy rereading my own books. But I was finding a lot of things in there that I felt like I could have done better. So that was interesting. That's, I won't tell you what they are because it doesn't matter because that book's done. But I was, I don't know. I think that's apropos of Jenny asking me to lay a few more things on the table in Fiery Crown, I probably do need to do that more. I always think that all of this stuff is in there. And some of you get it. I mean, it's amazing to me, like some of the stuff you guys ferret out. But then there's other stuff in there that I should make sure that people, it, it's okay to, <laughs> as, as Agent Sarah says to me, Jeffy, sometimes it's okay just to have a declarative statement. <laughs> she actually said that to me. What, Sarah? I have declarative statements sometimes. So, anyway, I'm going to do that. Um, And, look, I've already talked for 22 minutes. I'm also going to go to yin yoga this morning. I'm going to go to yin yoga today. On Thursday, I'm going to do my kick-ass, kick-my-ass vinyasa class Saturday morning. I might do a yoga class on Friday because I'm sort of feeling all out of alignment from sitting on airplanes and not exercising properly. Sorry, that's me stretching. I feel like I need to uh, have a dose of limbering before I go sit on a plane to Ireland. So I'm going to head out. I hope you all have a wonderful Monday. I hope that you're enjoying this beautiful summer. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.